Let's get to it. Changing times and many different things are happening in the world today. And I'm, I'm praying that you will have an open mind to what the Spirit of the Lord would have to say to us as a church. The most common phrase of Christ in the New Testament is let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Because we, we like to believe that we're open. The truth is the church is a conservative group that typically struggles with new ideas and changes. Your series is Living a Life of Impact. And to be impactful, you have to be consistent and moving with the ways the Spirit of God is moving today and not, not back in the 1950s. There's a lot of Christians out there that still believe with all their heart that Elvis is alive and he's evil. Um, and, you know, that's not the battle we're fighting anymore. There's new battles. There's new issues. There's new considerations. So to live a life of impact is to be caught up in the things that God is doing. So Eden Reforestation Projects, an interesting name for a ministry organization, is our effort to restore God's creation. And we have a, a, a thematic statement that's up there that says poverty reduction through environmental stewardship or plant trees save lives. And that's the way I'm going to be presenting uh, global impact to you today. I want to start off by looking at a passage in Isaiah chapter 43. The first part of this text sounds like so much that you read in the Old Testament because God or Yahweh is going through the prophet and telling him, okay, remember I, I, you, know, you were in Egypt and I, and I brought the plagues upon the Egyptians and I brought you out of Egypt and I had you march through the Red Sea and I delivered you into the promised land. You remember all of that? See, that's the core history of Israel. And then you get to verse 18 and 19, and something radical happens. God basically says this. Forget the former things. Stop and, let's stop there just for a second. That's like telling Americans, discount your history. The Revolutionary War, throw it out. Who cares about George Washington? Who cares about Abraham Lincoln? Today is the day that we're going to focus on. You'd say, well, wait a minute. That's our history. So often, people get stuck in their history, and they don't know how to move on and be caught up in the things that God's calling to them to now. So there's a principle in living an impactful life. It's not in the truest sense you have to forget your history completely, but don't get stuck there. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making in the way, um, a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Another way, in a very similar way, to be caught up in an impactful life is to embrace an impactful promise. A lot of Christians come from very broken lives, and they don't think they can do anything. Anybody out there, you don't have to raise your hand, but you, you have a poor self-image, a poor uh, sense of self-worth, and, and it's broken your life and broken your marriage and broken so many things. And I love what the Apostle Paul says. He's made us competent as ministers 
He's made us competent as ministers. So when you go out and you, and you share Christ, when you go out and you um, transform homes next week, you're competent to do that. I didn't have a degree in forestry. I didn't. But God made me competent to minister. And you'll see in, in a few minutes that we're now planting millions of trees every month. That's fairly competent. That's a, an acquired competency by the Spirit of God. And what's important here is all of us have our verses. All of us have our biblical ideals. And we should hang on to those, of course. But what happens is often Christians in America especially have a tendency to become legalistic and born against. The world especially the the non-Christian community in America, tends to see us as born against. Okay? And there's a long list of what we're born against. And one of those is environmental issues. It's a known fact that that Christians tend to be against environmental issues. And during my doctoral studies, I learned a lot about the secular environmentalist community. And one of the things that I learned is they're baffled by our opinion because they say, you worship the creator and yet you don't care for the creation. And, it, and it's, un, it's hard for them to get their minds around that. And again, they see us as born against. But here's one of the things that I learned. The church is the hope of the world Do you believe that? Do you? In every category. Not a lot of amens on that one. In every category. Let me tell you something that's fascinating. Most people think the United Nations is the world's largest organization internationally. There's only 56,000 UN workers, non-military UN workers on the planet. You know where most of those workers are? in nice, cushy office buildings in New York or Paris or London. In contrast, there are over 13 million Christian missionaries and their national co-workers. And you know where those, those missionaries and co-workers aren't? In cushy offices. They're out in the field. And you know what those missionaries are saying to us and those national co-workers are saying to us? They're saying our world is a ecological wreck and it's starting to negatively impact our lives at a scale that we never imagined conceivable. And so when I come to this passage here, I'm desperate for the church to say, okay, I know you were trained to be born against environmental issues, but rethink it. Start to read the Bible again anew because one of the things that makes us impactful is not what we're opposed to, but what we're for, because we serve a God who's a life-giving God. The Spirit gives life. Born against mentality, even if it's couched in religion, kills. The letter of the law kills. I can find a verse to beat every one of you up. And you can find a lot that beat me up too. But that's not, thank you for that. Uh, That's not what the Bible's for. That's not what the God-breathed word is for. It's 
designed to breathe life and impact. I hope you hear this because there's only one group on the planet that can truly minister to creation, even as we minister, and most especially as we minister people, and that's the church. And you're going to see how it's worked out as we continue to go. I want to take you to this one final text that is what I call a representative text. How many of you have read all the way through the Bible? Many of you. Many of you have read through many times. Pastor John, you didn't raise your hand. Uh, Okay. You you read Jude once, right? Um, um, (laughs) Those of you who've read the Bible know that's one chapter. Um, He's he's still John 3.16 is his favorite verse. Um, But anyway, here's, here's where I'm going with this, besides picking on your pastor. Most of us have not been trained to see that the Bible is a very ecologically oriented Bible. It's a very ecologically oriented book. And this text, Isaiah 41, is representative of many, many, many verses that promises God's desire to restore. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olives, set pines in the wasteland so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this. We often think in mystical terms that God is going to take care of everything. But then those of us who've really studied scripture know that we are his body, especially in the new covenant. We are his body. Yes, we are his hands. We are his feet. Jesus is not going to mystically make those houses all better next week. Yes, he can get free paint. Yes, he can get, you know, free faceboard. But you still got to be the ones to go out there and do that work because you're his hands, you're his feet, you're his carpenters. And in this case, we are the reforesters. We are the hand of the Lord that will put cedars and myrtle and olive and pines in the wasteland. And here's what we're going to be doing. I know you think of reforestation hardly ever. But consider this. Reforestation impacts a whole generation, or at least has the capacity to impact a whole generation of children who are living on the edge of environmental disaster. Explore that for a second. Did all of you eat this week? Did you drink water? Where'd you get your food? Grocery store. Where'd you get your water? Plastic bottle or you twisted something or went like that and zing, zang, zowie, there was your water. The overwhelming percentage of the world that can't do that. You know that, don't you? And I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm here to bring you back in touch where, where the majority of the world is right now and even where our culture was just 80 years ago. We were farmers, and they're farmers. We had to get our water from a hand pump back a few generations ago. And what happens when all the forests are cut down like that have happened in the last 100 years on the world? Forester sponges, the, they, they absorb the rain into the, the ground, and they fill up the aquifer so you can do the hand pump, so you can have springs, so you can have creeks, so you can have rivers. And when the forests are gone, 
You know what happens? The rain still hits and it washes down like crazy. It washes away the topsoil and it destroys farms. It kills people by the tens of thousands every year directly, but indirectly the destruction of their soil and the erosion of their soil is now causing, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of millions of people to relocate, usually to the cities where they live in grotesque slums and barely survive. That's the reality. And these children are living on the edge. Many people, literally millions of people, make a living cutting down forest for $1 a day. They're cutting it because they need fuel wood. They're cutting it because they need to have wood for their huts. And they barely survive on $1 a day. What if we hired these same people to plant instead of cut? Well, that's what we're doing. Forests also provide habitat for animals. And so when we reforest, we're halting the, the extinction of species like the mountain Nyala in Ethiopia and thousands of other species. Now, here's where I could be getting in trouble. Steve is a pinko. He, he left the ministry. He's not a superintendent anymore. He's now an uh, Al Gore-kissing liberal. Um, <laughs> here's, here's my point. God's the creator. Anybody disagree with that? Of course not. Do you think he cares for creation? So should we. Yeah, we should. I think every species that that passes into extinction grieves the heart of God. I do. And I've had the privilege of discovering two species in my life, co-discovering a third, and now we're looking at a fourth that uh, is being identified and demonstrated as proven uh, new species. And there's just so much out there that, that God created. The diversity is unbelievable. But also, reforestation impacts the earth's forest in such a way that oxygen is produced. I know it's hard for us to imagine it here in America, but in the world, the deforestation crisis is so unbelievable. We're actually increasing in forest in America. There was a time when we cut all of our forests down in the early eras of our history, but we've largely reforested. But you've got countries where I grew up, like the Philippines, that was heavily forested at the time of World War II. They're down to 3%. Just in my lifetime. Most of Africa is a wasteland. You, You know when you watch Discovery Channel, you see the stories of the wild animals? This platform is Africa, okay? This is the part right here that still has forest on it. All of those documentaries are taking place in little tiny patches of remnant forest. Kind of depressing, isn't it? But it can be turned around. It can be turned around. And I've personally come to enjoy breathing. And (laughs) forests are the earth's lungs. They produce about half of our oxygen. Here's what we're doing already. Eden has been up and running for five and a half years. So far, we, and when I say we, I mean you too, we've planted 18,386,327 trees with no, with no full-time employees at all in the United States until five months ago. And we've employed over 3,500 national workers in Ethiopia, Madagascar, and Haiti. That's not a bad five and a half year start. 
And it's the hand of the Lord at work through the church. We're seeing dramatic results. This is Pastor Rick Harrell in Mahabana, Madagascar on August of 2007. He's kneeling a bunch, some, uh, 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 some tiny little um, mangrove seedlings. This is the same place last month. Um, it is a wow. It is wow. And I, I don't have time to go into it, but this is a whole what's called an estuary. It's a massive bay surrounded by thick mangrove swamps that are so important at so many levels. And what the level that brought us there was a missionary friend of mine said, we have a church that we're trying to plant there, and we're not having any success at all. The people are Muslim and animist, and one of their, their taboos or their fadis is Jesus in the Bible. And we just can't break through. But they keep getting wiped out by cyclones because the high waves coming from the ocean on their coastal village is now sweeping all the way across the peninsula because all the mangrove swamps are gone. All the mangrove trees are gone. By the way, the same thing happened in New Orleans. New Orleans was wiped out not because the levees broke. New Orleans was wiped out because 17 miles of cypress trees, swamps were removed. God's system works. Our systems often do not. That's true. Look it up. I'm not making this up. It's true. The bottom line is, Jamie Shattenberg, the missionary, said, do you think we could try a mangrove reforestation project in the Mahabana estuary? I'm a missionary kid. He's a missionary kid. Missionary kids have no sense whatsoever. So we said yes. And 10 million trees later, an estuary is restored. And people have jobs. And their lives are so dramatically improved. And you'll see this in a few minutes. Hundreds are coming to Christ now. And they have a thriving church there. And they're planting churches in the six other estuary villages. It's amazing what's going on. Here's a good one, too. This is, uh, Mad- this is not Madagascar. This is Ethiopia in, uh, at the Udu Escarpment in June 2005. It looks like a desert. It's because it had become a desert. This is nine months later, me standing in the same place. I know it's a stupid-looking hat, but that's still me in the same spot. The animal life started to return. I know you can't see that well, but that is uh, uh, called a, a dictic um, in their common small antelope species. The birds are back. Some of the antelopes are, uh, are back. The, the small predators are back. It's an amazing story. This is the same place July of last year. And now I'm going to show you a video. You guys are the second group to see this that shows the five and a half years of progress. The great, great sense of fulfillment that we all share because we've been involved in this. One of the things that the Spirit is saying to the church is stop going to church. Be the church. Be the church. And be the church in hands-on, hands-of-the-Lord categories. In the New Testament, it's put a different way. You know this Matthew 25 text probably fairly well. I'm not trying to communicate guilt. I'm going to focus on the positive. Jesus says you can be a goat or you can be a sheep. 
<laughs> Nobody wants to be a goat, right? A sheep is somebody who sees the poor in, in need of hung, that are hungry or thirsty or without clothes. They see practical needs and they respond to those needs. Those are sheep. And ultimately, the church of Jesus Christ in America is going through a major shift. There's, there's a fair amount of, of 20 and 30 somethings in, in the church, in this church now. And folks, that generation is intolerant of a church that just comes and sits. They're insistent that we become hands-on. They're insistent that our behavior be sheepish in the best sense of the word, that we find, find practical, Christ-centered ways to show our love and our care and reforestation and caring for the poor and ministering in, in this unique way is so important. Here's how we do it in simple summary terms. First of all, we uh, employ the unemployed. In Africa, 50% of the people are un- unemployed. 25% are underemployed. And so we give them a job. More than 50% of our workers are women, which is rare in Africa. Women are oppressed people. And we've employed over 3,500 full and part-time people. We're also partnered with a group called Not For Sale. They, they came to me because this is their conclusion. They work with sex slaves trying to free them. What, ha- what causes sex slavery? Poverty, because parents sell their children um, because they're desperate to live. What causes poverty? Failed farms. What causes failed farms? Environmental destruction. And so they said they want to be on both ends of the equation. They want to help free the slaves, but they also want to be a healing part to what caused the problem in the first place. And so this is what's happening in the church more and more. Um, What we're seeing is if you give better food, you give better medical, uh, excuse me, if you give them a job, they eat better food. They go to the doctors. They send their children to school. No kidding. Whole villages are now sending their children to school, not because we have a child sponsorship program, just because they have jobs and they can do it themselves. And they're even adopting children. Eden is not an adoption agency. I never thought this would happen. But they're adopting children because they can. And it's so powerful. But what about evangelism? Some people say, ah, but where's your evangelistic arm? Well, we're being really good sheep. (laughs) And... Villages like Mahabana and Azanzave and Udu and, and Shalobeli are now open to the gospel. And, and Shalobeli, a Muslim village, now has a thriving church. Really. Udu, an animistic village, now has a church. And people are responding to the gospel because they see Jesus in us. They see Jesus. And then we tell them the story because we've proven through our behavior. This is... They call him Big Islam in Madagascar. He has something to wear now. He has something to eat. He has something to drink. And this new life impact brings openness. What about Living Spring? This is where I'll wrap up. What about you guys? It's up to you. I'm I'm not here to pressure you into doing anything. But there is a story that's pretty common in the church. It's the story of a man on a beach who's leaning down and he's 
picking up starfish that have washed onto the shore and he's tossing them back in the ocean. You know that story? Well, there's another man who comes up and says, you're wasting your time. There are millions of starfish on the beach. You won't make a difference. And he says, well, maybe not, but I'm making a difference with this one and with this one and with this one. We, we fight a lot. It's just, you know, and we can't do the counseling thing. So uh, anyway, bottom line is I like that story because you have an individual who is making an impact. But I don't like that story because the critique is right. Most of the starfish washed up on the beach are going to die. But what if there were hundreds and thousands of millions of people who joined with that one individual? That's what I hope happens at Living Spring, is that you'll join together and become a collective reforestation, poverty-reducing group that sees all the kingdom-type impact. <laughs> 